here you are. Once again, you find yourself stuck between a rock and a hard place. What do you do? Do you rely on your ego, only to let it lead you right back here? Do you fall back into your old temptations and habits? Or is this your moment? This is where you decide what you're really made of, where you find God, make your stand, and humbly climb out of the darkness. I want to welcome everybody here today in the room, those joining us on the stream and those joining us on TV. We're glad that you're a part of the Sagebrush family. I also want to welcome all of our multi-site campuses. You know, you might be watching from home or on the stream. You might have a Sagebrush location near you and you're not even aware of it. There are nine different Sagebrush locations that you can choose from. There's even one all the way in the country of Belize. So here's what you need to do, friends. Everybody needs to download the Sagebrush app. Because on the Sagebrush app, there's just a ton of information. You miss a message, you can catch up on the message because all the messages are there. You want sermon notes? They're there. You want a daily devotional? It's right there in the app. You want a Bible reading plan? We have three different Bible reading plans you can choose from. There's an Old and New Testament Bible reading plan. There's a New Testament Bible reading plan. And there's another one that we have that we call the story, where it's the highlights of the Bible that tell the story in chronological order of the, of the message of God's Word. Now, there's also a place there that tells you all the different locations, where the service times are, and I'm happy to announce that we have a grand opening this weekend of our Uptown campus. Uh, some friends of ours in the Uptown community, they had a church. They decided that they wanted to go ahead and absolve as a church in their time there. They generously donated their facility to us. We were able to remodel that, and now we have opened it as a Sagebrush campus. If you live in the area of where Arizona Arizona, San Pedro area is at. Come and check us out. Visit us. We would love to have you be a part of the Sagebrush family. Well, we're in the middle of this series called Stuck Between a Rock and a Hard Place. So let's just get right into the message. We're studying the book of Daniel and everything that he went through. Well, let me start by telling you a story. In the early hours of June 5th, 2002, a man by the name of Brian Mitchell broke into the home of Edward and Lois Smart and kidnapped their daughter Elizabeth at knife point. Now, the little girl was only 14 years old. Well, the following day, a massive search ensued with over 2,000 people participating. But because there was no fingerprint or DNA evidence left behind by the abductor, the police found it very difficult to get much traction in their investigation. Meanwhile, while everybody is searching, Elizabeth was shackled to a tree with a metal cable. She was sexually abused. She was forced to take drugs. She was threatened with death over and over and over again. And during her captivity, she did have some chances to escape, but she was too afraid to take any of them. Two months after she was kidnapped, her abductor and herself and the family that was with him went to the library to research potential places where they could relocate. And while they were there, a person at the library looked at them and thought they were off. And as you can see, they were a bit off, weren't they? Well, they called the police. And a police detective arrived and confronted them. But Elizabeth's abductor, Brian Mitchell, claimed that she was his daughter. 
and that they were unable to remove the veil that covered her face because of religious reasons. Well, the detective questioned them, and he tried to talk to Elizabeth, but she refused to speak because she was afraid that she would be killed right there on the spot. This is what she later said of the incident. She said, I felt like hope was walking out the door. I was mad at myself that I didn't say anything. Mad at myself for not taking the chance. So close. I felt terrible that the detective hadn't pushed harder. He just walked away. Well, three more months go by after that encounter. And Elizabeth's sister all of a sudden remembered, because she was in the room the night her sister was taken, she all of a sudden remembered the voice of the abductor. And she remembered that to be the voice of a man that the family knew as a man by the name of Emmanuel. Now, Emmanuel said he was an unemployed man, and they hired him to work on their roof and to rake some leaves. Well, the family immediately got a sketch artist together to draw his face, and the sketch was released to the media nationwide. Well, on March the 12th, 2003, Elizabeth and her abductor were spotted in Utah by a couple who had seen their photos on the news. They called the police, and finally, the ordeal was over. Now, I tell you that story because I want you to get the feeling, just a tiny bit of the feeling of the fear and the terror that a person would have if they were ripped away from their home and from their family. Because that's the situation that Daniel finds himself in. At the age of only 15 years of, the Babylonians have invaded his homeland. They have taken him captive back to Babylon to indoctrinate him into the Babylonian way of life. And this young kid has lost everything. And I only say everything, I mean everything. He's lost his family. He's lost his home. And now he's told what to do. He's told what to wear. And he's told what to eat. They teach him a brand new language. They give him a brand new culture. And they try to force Daniel to worship new gods. Now, you understand what King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do to these young people, right? All of these things are psychological attempts to try to brainwash the victim. Now listen, Daniel wasn't the only person that was taken into captivity. It is estimated that Nebuchadnezzar took 25% of Israel back with him to Babylon. Well, Daniel had three friends that we know of that went with him into captivity, and they endured the same kind of treatment that Daniel endured. Look at this, Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, it says, the boys were all given new Babylonian names. Daniel was renamed Belshazzar. Hananiah was renamed Shadrach. Mishael was renamed Meshach. And Azariah was renamed Abednego. Now, what in the world is going on here? Well, all four of these Hebrew children were named after Jehovah. They were named after Elohim. They were named after Yahweh. These are all Old Testament names of God. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to continue to refer to them by names that reminded them of the one true God of Israel. So he was going to rename them over the gods of the Babylonians. So as we just read, let me explain what the names meant. Daniel's name actually meant God is my judge. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't going to have that to be his name. So he's renamed Belshazzar, which means Bel protects me. And of course, Bel was a pagan god of the Babylonians. Let me give you the next one. Hananiah means God is gracious. 
He's renamed Shadrach. That's the moon god of the Babylonians. Let me give you the next one. Mishael means who is like God. In other words, no one is as great as God is. He's renamed Meshach after the Babylonian god of fertility. And then finally, we have Azariah, which means God has helped me. Well, his name is changed to Abednego, which means servant of Nebo, who was obviously another Babylonian pagan god. So do you, do you understand what's happening here? They're, they're, they're changing everything about them. They're trying to indoctrinate them. They're trying to brainwash them. So now they've received new names, which means they now have a new identity. They have new jobs. They have new clothes. And now they're told to eat a brand new diet, food that has been sacrificed to pagan gods. Now, if you weren't here last week, if you missed that, get on the Sagebrush app and listen to that message because Daniel said, you know what? I'm not eating of this food. You see, Daniel obeyed the Levitical law, and the Levitical law said that no one was allowed to eat or drink of food or wine that was offered to a pagan god. And so Daniel just doesn't want to lose his integrity. He doesn't want to disappoint God. He doesn't want to break the very heart of God. Now, now here's, here's what's interesting. They could change Daniel's name. They could change his clothes. They could change his location. But there was one thing they could never change in Daniel, and that was his convictions. Friends, a conviction is not based on our feelings. Come on, don't base your convictions on feelings. They're here today and gone tomorrow. You're high, you're low, you're up, you're down. That's not how you base a conviction. It's not based upon how someone feels. It's also not based upon your situation, where you find yourself in the situation. No, a conviction is something that's steadfast. It's something that is firm. It isn't dependent upon someone's situation. It's also not based on your opinion. It's also not based on the opinion of the majority vote. It's not based upon what other people say or what other people think. It's not based upon culture. It's not based upon society. Do you know what a conviction is, friend? A conviction is anchored in the pages of God's holy word. It's anchored in the Bible. You, you see, a conviction does more than just say, you know, don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know what a conviction does? It's when you're watching TV, like on Netflix or Amazon Prime or one of the streaming services, and they continually, repeatedly use God's name in vain. Do you know what a person of conviction does? They change the stinking channel. That's what they do. A conviction says more than like honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. A conviction comes to church even when the cowboys are on TV for the early game. <laughs> they, they, they come to church even though the Denver donkeys are playing. And why in the world would you hurt yourself in such a manner as to watch the Denver donkeys? That's what I want to know. That team is absolutely terrible this year. See, a conviction is actually following through, doing what you said you would do. A conviction does more than just say you shall not commit adultery. A conviction looks away. A conviction doesn't flirt with a coworker. A conviction, well, that person lives their life above reproach. Well, at the risk of losing their very lives, Daniel and his friends with conviction refused to eat the food from the king's table. And guess what? God blessed them for taking a stand for him. And here's the principle. When we honor God, he'll always honor us. 
I want you to get that. When we honor God, he'll honor us. Don't expect God to honor you if you're going to dishonor him. If you're living in disobedience, don't expect God to pour his blessing upon you. That's not the way it works. But if you honor God, he'll honor you. So they make a deal and they say, give us this food for 10 days, this different food for 10 days and see if we aren't stronger and smarter than everybody else. And so the person who was in charge of them for 10 days allowed them to go for it. And if you remember, you wrote on these little cards, these are the things I'm trusting God for for the next 10 days. I hope you stuck through with that. Well, Daniel and his friends, they do it for 10 days. They eat a different diet and they grew stronger. And they grew healthier than all the other people who were taken captive. And now they were known for their wisdom. They were known for their discernment. And now we open up chapter 2. And things begin to go from bad to worse. The Babylonian king, a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. The Bible says, in the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign, so now Daniel is 17 years old, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Uh, his mind was troubled, and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll interpret it. <laughs> the king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Now, Nebuchadnezzar was no dummy. He's a pretty smart guy. He said, listen, if you have some kind of psychic powers, then you should be able to tell me my dream and then tell me what my dream was about. I read a story this past week about a psychic that was awarded $986,000 when a doctor's CAT scan impaired their psychic abilities. My question is this, if they really were a psychic, shouldn't they have known not to go to that doctor? I mean, shouldn't they have seen that coming? Nebuchadnezzar, he says, look, guys, anybody can interpret a dream if you know what the dream is. You can make up anything you want to make up. A, a, a woman awoke on Valentine's Day, and she announced excitedly to her husband, she said, honey, last night I had a dream that you gave me a pearl necklace for Valentine's Day. What in the world could that mean? He said, well, you'll know tonight. Well, sure enough, he arrived home that evening carrying a small, beautifully wrapped package. Well, she ripped it open to find a book called The Meaning of Dreams. I don't think that's what she was looking for, do you? The king looked at his advisors and said, if you really have some kind of supernatural special powers, you don't need to know what my dream was. Just tell me what my dream was and tell me what it means. And by the way, if you don't tell me, I'm going to cut you into little pieces and turn your home into rubble. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but if you cut me into pieces, I really don't care what you do to my home. You know what I mean? These people are going to die if they can't come up with what the dream was and what the dream means. What Nebuchadnezzar is asking them, come on, friends, is absolutely ridiculous and it's impossible. Well, the astrologers answered the king. There's not a man on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. 
What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they don't live among men. Well, their response took Nebuchadnezzar off. He's furious. So he says, you know what? You don't have the supernatural powers. You're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of deceivers. I'm going to execute every single one of you. Now, Daniel and his friends, who have been promoted to be wise men, are lumped in with everybody else. And I'm guessing that they're not with the other wise men when this goes down because they come to Daniel's house with his friends and they go there to kill them. And Daniel doesn't even know what's going on. And so when the king, when they find out that the king has had this dream and they're supposed to interpret the dream, Daniel's like, well, give us some time. We just heard about this. He's so smart, he asked for a stay of execution because they've come to kill him. He says, listen, give me a little bit more time to consult with God to see if our God might reveal what the dream is and we can share with the king the meaning of the dream. And so guess what? Nebuchadnezzar grants them a stay. Well, what do you think Daniel and his friends went and did? Well, they would do what anybody would do. They got on their knees and they began to pray. Now, now when they prayed, Daniel knew that God wasn't obligated to answer his request. Now, if God did choose to reveal the dream to them, it would be an act of God's grace, not, not because of anything that they did or because they deserved it. They just asked God to be merciful and to reveal the dream so that the one true God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, would be uplifted and get glory and get all the credit. So you know, here's the question you might have on your mind. Why is it that God answers some prayers and doesn't answer other prayers? It's kind of interesting. Did you know this? But the Bible actually lists some conditions to having a prayer answered by God. Did you know that? There are scripture after scripture that says if you meet these requirements, that God will hear your prayer and God will answer your prayer. Let me share with you just, just a few of these. Number one is this. You have to ask God for what you need. Now, that, that seems like a no-brainer, right? But how many times have you been guilty of never talking to God about what's going on in your life? This is what we do. We worry about stuff. And, and we get anxious about stuff. And we run it over in our minds over and over and over again. And, and then we wonder why God's not intervening. We wonder why God's not doing something in our situation. And the reason he's not doing something is because we've never lifted it up to him. We've never prayed to him. We spend all of our time worrying about it. We spend all of our time being anxious about it. We spend all of our time running different scenarios about it. But we never went to the one who can actually do something about it. Friends, listen to me. You can worry or you can pray, but you can't do both at the same time. And which one do you think is going to get any traction in your life? You know, if we're honest, many times we're guilty of not coming to God with our burden. We continue to do life in our own power, in our own strength, and we'll never seem to humble ourselves and just seek the face of God. The second reason many times we have our prayers answered is, is because of this. When we do get around to finally asking God, we don't pray with much faith that God's going to actually intervene in our situation. Here's the bottom line. Many times you and I are guilty of praying faithless prayers. So let me ask you something. What are you expecting God to do in your life? I think we see God do so little in our lives because we expect so little in our lives. You know what I mean? It's like we pray for something and then we walk away and we say to ourselves, well, you know what? That's not going to happen. You know, we go always say, oh, amen, and then we walk away and go, I don't know if God even heard that prayer, to be honest with you. Here's what you should do, because I know we all have times of doubt. We all have times of unbelief, 
When you have those moments when you're lifting something up to God and you're just not certain whether God's going to come through for you or not, just tell him the truth. Just say, God, I want to believe. I want to trust you. I want to put my faith in you. I want to believe that you can intervene, but I'm skeptical right now. I'm having my doubts right now. Listen, God's just looking for you to be honest. And God can take that little bit of faith. Even if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, God's going to take that little bit of faith and he will intervene in your situation. So give him all the faith that you've got and tell him about the faith that you don't have. Let me give you the third reason. It's because we're selfish. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It's a sad commentary about me, but most of my prayers, guess what? They're about me. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. Oh, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. How many times do we act like God is just some genie up in the sky and we just rub the lamp when we want him and he works for us rather than we serve him? And so we get a little upset. We rub the lamp and we say, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And it's all about us. It's all about making our name great. It's all about building up our little kingdom. And then we expect God to do something. And then we get ticked off when he doesn't. Let me show you the condition to that prayer already. So Proverbs 21 verse 13 says, if a man shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. God says, listen, if you and I don't pay attention to the legitimate needs of those around us, why in the world should he pay attention to our needs? we got to step back and we got to ask ourselves a question. Is what I'm asking for going to benefit others or is it just going to benefit me? Is it to lift my kingdom up or to lift his kingdom up? Is it to make my name great or is it to make his name great? Let me give you the fourth one. We're holding on to that which he wants us to let go of. The Bible says in Psalm 66, verse 18, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Listen, if you're, if you're living in disobedience, I mean, you know that you're doing the wrong thing. You're in the wrong relationship. You're acting the wrong way. You care more about your sin than you care about your Savior. And then you shoot up a prayer to God and you expect him to answer it. When you're living in deliberate defiance of the God of the Bible, do you honestly think that he's going to bless you? No, when you're living in deliberate defiance of God, the Bible says that, that that'll put a barrier up between you and God. And so, yeah, you're going to feel like your prayers are bouncing back down because he's not going to bless disobedience. Let me give you one more. We refuse to forgive others even though God has forgiven us. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23, Jesus said, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. All right, so here's how it goes. We have an ongoing conflict with someone, and God says you go to them immediately and you work things out with that person. Now, I know people who have held on to a hurt for so long, and as a result, they have become bitter and untrusting of other people. And I always look at them and I say, how's that working out for you? And not once have I ever talked to an angry and bitter person, and they said, oh, man, this is, this is awesome. The way I'm living my life, it's just working out so good for me. Oh, the bitterness and the hatred just fuel my fire. It just gets better day after day after day. No, no, no. Never heard anybody ever say that. They usually break down, 
and they tell me that they know that their refusal to forgive others is destroying their relationships because it's seeping into other relationships as well. You know what I always say to them? You got to let it go. You have got, you've got to stop wanting to get even with them. And then I look at them and I say, aren't you glad that God gave up his right to get even with you? We do not deserve the forgiveness of God. We have hurt him a billion times. We have offended him day after day after day. And yet if we confess our sins, this is 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, our God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we will repent of our sin, turn away from our sin, he will wash us as white as snow. Here we've been given the forgiveness of God and we won't forgive others. You got to let it go. God doesn't want you to live that way, full of anger and resentment and bitterness. You got to let it go at the foot of the cross. If you're holding on to bitterness today, here's what you do, man. You, you, you get yourself a shovel and you dig a hole in your backyard. This is your homework assignment if you choose to accept it. You get a shovel, you dig a small hole, you write down every offense, everything that's made you mad, everything that's made you bitter, and then you bury that. And then you put a cross on top of that and you leave that burden at the foot of the cross and you ask God to give you the power and the strength to forgive in the same way that you've been forgiven. If you've hurt someone, go to them and apologize for what you've done. If somebody has hurt you, then, then, then go to them and say, I forgive you. And, and, and it doesn't matter if they ask for forgiveness or not. You're doing this to release yourself. You're doing this so that you can move on. Forgiveness is a gift that you give to yourself. Jesus said, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. So what do Daniel and his friends do? Well, they pray, and, and they believe. They, they, they believe that God cares about their situation, and that, and that God's more than able to intervene in their situation. They, they trusted that God would work through this situation for their good and for his glory. No matter what, no matter what, they were going to hold on to God. Now, I want you to know that my life is a history of answered prayers. I don't say that to brag or anything, but God has answered prayer after prayer after prayer. Just out of curiosity, everybody in the room and everybody at home, how many of us today, by a raise of the hands, would say God has answered at least one prayer in your lifetime? Yeah, he's come through, hasn't he? He has come through for me again and again and again. Now, I'm not saying that God has always answered every prayer I've ever prayed the way I hoped that he would, and he's always done exactly what I wanted to do because that wouldn't be true. He's God, and I'm not. And you know what I've learned over the years is I've just learned to trust him no matter what because what do I know about God? I know God is good, and I, and I know he's going to work it out for my good and for his glory. So I just trust in him with the results. So, so Daniel goes to God because he's asking for something very impossible, and he starts out his prayer. I want you to see the prayer. He prays God first for who he is. Verse 20 says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. You want to have more powerful prayers? Start your prayers just praising God for who he is. Just saying, God, you're, you're loving. God, you are so kind. God, you are gracious. You are powerful. You know everything. Nothing, nothing is too hard for you. God, you're faithful. 
And, and then he, he honored God for his control over the situation. He prayed, God, you're the one who changes times and seasons. You're the one who sets up kings and deposes them. Now, what in the world is he doing here? Well, he's acknowledging that God determines everything and that God can move in this situation. He's acknowledging that God can do infinitely, abundantly more than anything he ever dreamed or imagined. And, and then he thanks God for helping him. He says, I thank and I praise you. I want you to notice he gives God all the credit. He said, you're the one that gave me the wisdom. You're the one that gave me the power. Any good thing that's in me is because of you, and I want to use everything that you've given to me to make your name great, because life is not about me. Life is about you. So Daniel went to the king, and he told the king his dream, because God revealed the dream that, that Nebuchadnezzar had. And look at what they said to him. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Did you catch that? He said, there is a God in heaven. What does that mean? Well, things may be falling apart in your life, but there is a God in heaven. Your dream may be on the skids, but there is a God in heaven. You, you may be up to your eyeballs in junk, but there is a God in heaven. You may be going down for the last time. I mean, you're in deep guacamole, but there is a God in heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, you might not know this God in heaven, but he is the creator of the universe. He is the one who sets the planets in motion and tells the sea, this is as far as you go. He's the one who placed every star in the sky and named them by name. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and he is the end. He is the author and the sustainer of all life. He is God Almighty. And nothing, nothing is impossible with him. So what should we do? We should pray. We should seek the face of God. We should pray and trust that he knows what's best. We should pray and hold on to him with white knuckle intensity. Take a look at this. I was about 12 and I was in a lot of pain and my mom had had migraines and so she knew what was going on. I, I, I don't remember a day when I didn't have pain. I was running down the sideline and I took a, a simple hit. I, I couldn't move, like it, my shoulder was out of place. And then, you know, I do my PT, hoping that would heal it, but it didn't heal it. So COVID hit. Towards September of that same year is when um, my marriage really started to struggle and my divorce was finalized. I've been depressed and been wondering, you know, could he hear me and hear my, my plea and my cry for help. I was angry. I was confused on why a good God would allow something bad to happen. And I wasn't really seeing his plan. I was just seeing my plan. Circumstances that brought me to the floor in pain also brought me to my knees in prayer. 
as I as my faith has gotten stronger and as I've I've prayed more and as I've grown more in my faith, I realize that he does hear me and it is all in God's timing. You know, I know now that even though there's gonna be trials that I face, and even though this year has physically been the worst year of my life, I've also never been at such peace, knowing that God is gonna be with me through every trial that I face and through every hardship that I go against. I believe that God says and is who he says he is because I'm still here. I'm still standing. I'm still functioning. And I believe that God has a plan for me that, that is greater than I can even imagine. I do believe that healing is coming. I haven't received it yet, but I know that it's coming. Whether it's here on earth, whether it's in heaven, I know that it's coming and I'm thankful for that. Being able to be at the place where I could give all the glory to God for the situation I was in. This has not been easy, but it's definitely worth it. But 